So what, hey, Sean, Sean, hold your water bottle. Everybody look, this is Sean's water bottle right here. We had a staff meeting on Friday, and Sean brought, I don't want it. Sean brought his baby with him and decided to let his baby drink out of those water bottles. Says, ah, and his baby keeps spitting back in the water bottle. And so this morning I came in, I go, hey, Sean, you've got your water bottle. And he's like, I'm going to drink out of that. He's like, it's your baby. It's your baby. Welcome to Element. If you knew, apparently, I don't know, would everybody else go to the hospital this morning too or what? Because it's the cold, it's the rain, I know. So we actually wore a thermal because I'm cold like that. If you are new, welcome to Element. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. You can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables around the room. If you have a smartphone, there's an app called Uversion. You can download that. And if you download it, what will happen is there's a thing in there, you click it, it says live. And you click on live, and it'll bring up the sermon notes, the verses, everything from this morning will actually be on there. And apparently throughout the message, you'll get to vote on something as well, which I didn't even know was there until someone says, I voted twice. And I'm like, that, that's like voter fraud. What are you, what are you doing? And, but they meant to the sermon. And I was like, oh, so. Okay, you're going to be a tough crowd. Don't let the weather affect you. Stop it. Uh, I have one announcement for you. Uh, we support a ministry called the Tamar Center, which is in Pattaya, Thailand. And in Thailand, they have one of the highest per capita rates of prostitution anywhere in the world. And so we work with a group that goes in and, and they help get these women out of the bars, out of prostitution. They give them skills. Uh, they allow them a place to live for like six months to, to 18 months as they learn these skills for them and their children. Uh, and then they can go out and actually make a living, not have to be involved in prostitution anymore. So we have a group of ladies who are going there in the spring. I know if you're a dude, hey, I want to go. It would just be awkward having you go into the bar to talk with one of these ladies and be like, hey, baby, what's going on? Want to come back to the center? Because it just, so, boy, tough crowd. Okay, so if you are a lady and that, and that sounds appealing to you, that you would want to go and be part of this for about a week and a half in Thailand, uh, helping to talk to some of these ladies, getting them plugged in with this with the Tamar Center uh, on October 28th. It's a Thursday night. We invite you to show up for a meeting. It's a, it'll be a short meeting if you would like to go. It's really, if you go, it, Im, it impacts your life in, in amazing ways. Uh, I've been to Thailand, not into the bars with the ladies, but I've been to Thailand uh, once and worked with an orphanage and building some stuff and doing a bunch of other stuff. Uh, and, and, it, and it really is an interesting place and, and it breaks your heart. But I think that we can help make a difference there. So there you go. Come to the meeting. Uh, stand with me reading God's Word. We'll get going. I wear my special Spider-Man shirt this morning just for you. When I say you, that's plural. <laughs> James 1.13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we, as a people, would understand uh, many of our own temptations and things that we are drawn away to. And that we would then listen to your spirit and begin to walk in the ways that you call us to so that these temptations wash off us and we truly live as your children. Amen. Have a seat. So we are doing a new series called Made. This is week three of it. It is a topical series and I don't do topical that well. I love going through sections of scripture, which is much easier for me. I even have done topical things in the past, but they're usually sections of scripture, which I really like. 
but this, we're just giving it a go. Uh, this whole series is about how God made each one of us unique. Central to becoming the person he calls us to be, we must understand how he made us. Now, again, I have a hard time teaching you guys like this because I do not want you to get the wrong idea. When I say we're helping you to understand you, it's not because you are the answer. It's because you are the problem, okay? You're the problem. I am the problem. Jesus is the solution. Our culture spends too much time trying to get you to focus on yourself has led to some major issues because, again, we all think we are the answer. So what we talk about is not to build your self-esteem. Believe me, I think you have enough of that already. I think a lot of people who are constantly depressed in in our culture, uh, I'm not saying all of you, but probably a lot, and so if the shoe fits... Put it on. Uh, a lot of people in our culture who are depressed spend a lot of time thinking about themselves and how terrible they are. And when they do, it just reinforces my point. We spend too much time thinking about ourselves rather than who God is and who God calls us to be as his people. And so my goal in this is to help you understand how God sees you, that your eyes should always be upon Christ to ever properly understand who you are. But part of you being you is also understanding that God made you uniquely to be you. So this series is to help you to trust God, that he made you how he wanted you to be, and you simply embrace that and trust him that he is good. That is essentially all we talked about the entire first week. And if you were here the first week, you're probably thinking, why couldn't you just have said that rather than that whole half-hour-long sermon? Get over it. We'll be fine, all right? Uh, Last week, we talked about spiritual growth, that one size does not fit all. If you missed those, I recommend you listen to them because everything's building on top of each other as we go through this series. They're on our website, our element.org. They're free. You get what you pay for, but they're free. So today, we're going to be taking this further and farther. We're going to talk about weaknesses and understanding how we become attracted to things that are not God's best for us as his people. I actually like to call this temptation because the Bible likes to call it temptation. And so becoming who God calls you to be, you must understand this idea of temptation. Now, uh, who in here likes to fish? Anybody like to fish? Okay, you're weird and crazy. Uh, I, you have much more patience than I do. I have caught one fish my entire life. Uh, I, was on, I had this pole. I had ran out of bait. And I was just, ching, 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 fish. It was amazing. This little bluegill up at Lopez Lake. My dad's like, how'd you catch that? And I go... And he's all, whatever. I have zero patience. I hate fishing. Uh, my dad, in teaching me how to fish, one time he says to me, he goes, in order to catch a fish, you've got to think like a fish. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. You know, I, I, I don't get it. Do, do fishes not have patience? You know, how, how, does, how does that work? Uh, a fish is life. It is about maximum gratification of appetite versus the minimum expenditure of energy. To a fish, a life is simply, see a fly, I want a fly, I'm going to go eat a fly. Fish are a collection of appetites. A fish is a stomach, a mouth, and a pair of eyes. There is no deeper meaning to life. There is no, oh, do these gills make me look fat? There's none of that. it's, It's just a fish. Fish are stupid. It's like, here, fish, swallow this. It's not the real thing. It's a lure. It's like, oh, look at that. It's pretty. You think it'll feed you, but it won't. It'll trap you. Now, you think a fish would wise up, notice the hook, and see the line. You think a fish would look around at all their fish buddies who went off for a lure, and they fly off into outer space and never come back. No, I don't know. They don't. See, it's like, I got I to gotta, I gotta groan with this one, but it's like fish swim together in school, but they never get any smarter. Every service reacts the same way to that. Oh, now, aren't you glad you're smarter than a fish? You're not. You're not. From presidents to CEOs to school teachers to pastors, we have all bit the lure. I think Satan can bait the hook, but we are the ones who bite. 
temptation and sin is painful to us because when we give in, it doesn't just hurt us from the outside, it destroys us from the inside. Temptation is something that tries to get to our appetites and our will to override our deepest values. Temptation will strike where we are most vulnerable, where we all need to grow. As an example, if you have a hard time with patience, I guarantee you that there will be people thrown into your life that will try your patience. You'll have to learn how to deal with them or just go crazy. One or the other. But you can learn how to deal with them or... Anyway. Uh, envy. If you, do, if, you, if you deal with envy, you know, there will be a co-worker, a brother, a sister, a friend who excels at something that you stink at. And you're going to have to figure a way to get over that. But I will also tell you, every temptation that you face is a great chance to grow. Because you can grow through it, trust Christ, and move on to who He calls you to be. So I'm going to talk about two things with you this morning. You may think, well, this isn't very spiritual. No, this is practical, and our lives are meant to be our whole life. It isn't our spiritual life and our, and our, and our physical life. It is one life. We do it all together. So this is practical, so go with me and live with it. The first thing we're going to talk about is how do you deal with temptation. The second thing I'm going to point out to you is some of your strengths and how they're actually related to your weaknesses. So here we go. How do you deal with temptation? Number one. One is you never do it alone. You never do it alone. You have a Bible open to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You never do it alone. You ask for help. Uh, yes, friends around you. This is one of the reasons God designed us to live in community with other people. So we do not do life alone. Uh, the enemy longs to devour you. Stay in friendships with, with believers and others around you so that you will not give in to the temptation. We are stronger together. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We are stronger together. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is... What's the next three words? Common to man. Common to man. Common to human beings. We all struggle. We all have temptations. You cannot pretend like you don't. When you pretend like you don't, no one relates to you. You cannot live in a proper community. People don't understand that, yes, you struggle and you need help as well as you need to help other people around you. You've got to be able to tell people you trust about your temptations. If you struggle with gossip, tell your friends, don't tell me anything. I leak like a cheap waterbed. Don't tell me. You've got to allow your friends in your life to know your deepest things so that they can call you to account. So number one, you do it. You never do it alone. And number two, which should actually be number one, is you listen to God's Spirit. Listen to God's Spirit. I think it takes a lot of mental effort to try and walk down into some bad paths sometimes. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. The English Standard Version says, Do not quench the Spirit. If you are honest about temptation, usually the Holy Spirit is already there pushing on you going, No, go the other way. Go the other way. He's pushing on your conscience. We actually have to almost first shut up the Spirit to give in to our temptation. You've got to be careful not to pray about a certain desire with anything close to a submitted spirit. You've got to make sure you're not talking with this desire to your friends. You've got to make sure you're trying to do it all alone. No one around to hold you accountable. You've got to make sure you don't look at the scriptures and the things that they say specifically about these issues. You can't think about, about it at all. And you have to do all these things while trying to convince yourself you're not doing all of these things. As an example, Matthew 5, 27 and 28. Jesus says, you know, don't look at a woman with, with lust. He calls this committing adultery in your heart. This does not mean that noticing an attractive person is sinful, the sense of attraction is good. Jesus warns about these purposes for lusting. Now imagine there's a guy. 
I don't know why I use the guy in the term of lusting, but whatever. Okay, there's a guy. And, and, what, and he struggles with this whole idea of lust. Uh, maybe he's involved in a lot of pornography. He can't, and so he's, just, he's always looking at women as objects. And maybe other people in his life have come up and they've said, Hey, let's, let me help you with this. Why, why don't you let me hold you accountable? And he says, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. Then one day he's out to dinner with his wife in a restaurant. An attractive waitress walks by and he just is like staring at her as she goes by. And he's not taking his life. And all of a sudden, somebody else in the restaurant notices. And then his wife notices that somebody else notices. And all of a sudden, it hurts her. It hurts him. The marriage is in crisis and turmoil. All because someone, one, didn't listen to the Spirit, and two, didn't get people around him that could help him. This is what temptation does. It longs to pull you into a place where it can destroy you. The Holy Spirit always pulls you towards life. If you have been in a situation in your life where you've been caught or embarrassed or tried to hide something, it's probably a good indication that you're not listening to the Spirit and that you need to get some people around you that can hold you accountable. The, the Holy Spirit, He will come up. I mean, anybody here have an older brother? Anybody got older brothers? Okay, I got an older brother. You sit there sometimes, your older brother loves to walk by and go, bam, and flick you in the ear. I hate that. That is like my worst pet peeve. So just don't ever do it, please. I, I might punch you on that. Be like, oh, I'm so sorry I punched you. But, you know, bam, they flick you in the back of the ear. I hate it. But the Holy Spirit actually does that. It's like you're thinking, oh, I should go do this. And the Holy Spirit's like, bam! You're like, what? And you've got to tune that out if you want to go in a direction of sin. The Spirit reminds us always who we were created to be. You must listen to the Spirit of God. So listen to God's Spirit. Never do it alone. Number three, notice how satisfied your soul is. This is very, very important. Now, if you have a Bible, open to Philippians 4.4. 4. Now, on the dashboard of older cars, they used to have these lights. Today, you get a whole heads-up display. It's like you're driving around in a jet. But way back when, they had these little lights that told you when something was wrong. These lights were called idiot lights. Idiot lights. Because you had to be an idiot to ignore them. When I was growing up, my dad had a truck, and in the middle of the dashboard, he had one of these idiot lights, and he took a, some paper and shoved it in the hole so he couldn't see it. I don't know what that says about my dad. But yeah, okay, so there you go. Your soul has an idiot light. The, this, the scripture is full of warnings that we are to be a joyful people, that the Spirit, when He comes in, and again, joy is different than happiness, okay? Happiness is temporary, joy is eternal. The Holy Spirit calls us, brings us to a place where we live in joy, no matter what comes our way. There's something in us that pulls us towards joy. We are called to be a joyful people. In the book of Nehemiah, you know, uh, Israel, their temple has been destroyed, their wall has been destroyed. Nehemiah takes some Israelites, they go back, they're rebuilding the wall, they're rebuilding the temple, and they're running up to a lot of struggles in this, a lot of complications and a lot of problems. And Nehemiah says to the people in Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You must focus on the joy of the Lord. In Philippians 4.4 4, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, and what's the word? Rejoice. Rejoice. We become vulnerable to temptation in our lives when our souls become dissatisfied. The deeper our dissatisfaction, the deeper our vulnerability. Because if we do not find our satisfaction in Christ, our hearts will look for it somewhere else. And anything that is not Jesus is an idol. I believe much of what was called a, uh, idolatry in biblical times, today we talk about as addictions. There are things that our lives get wrapped around. I believe when Jesus, when he talks on the Sermon of the, on the Mount, I believe this is one of the reasons why he doesn't start off with rules about morality. What he does is he speaks to the deepest need of the soul to be connected with our Creator, and this brings joy. He says, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
You know, blessed are, are not just the winners who society says is blessed. Blessed are not just the supermodels. Blessed are not just the rich and powerful. But blessed are the wrinkled and blessed are the misshapen and blessed are those who never got asked to prom and never got to dance. Blessed are the single. Blessed are the married. Blessed are the prostitutes. Blessed are the shamed. Blessed are the regretful. Blessed are you, not because you get to have every desire fulfilled, but because you are not your desires. Blessed are you because you are more than a stomach and more than a mouth and more than a pair of eyes. Blessed are you because what your soul really aches for is its connection to its Creator. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that love and that life come through Him, the connection with our Creator. And when your soul is satisfied, temptation rolls off of you. I mean, you can be walking into a situation that temptation normally jumps up, and when you're satisfied in Christ and you're satisfied because of the life He's given you, it just rolls off and goes the other way. So you listen to God's Spirit, never do it alone. Notice how satisfied your soul is. And the third thing, which in your papers it says, recognize what seems to block you. I, I actually, I, I should have changed that because I, I'm talking about sin. So recognize when sin rears its head. Okay, you've got to recognize when sin rears its head. We have a terrible problem in that we don't even recognize much of our own sins in our life. We think everybody else has a problem, but not us. Now, USA Today ran an article about the five most difficult things to do in sports. Number five is returning a professional tennis serve. For me, this would be returning any tennis serve. Okay? It comes at me, and I'm like, ooh, it's like a baseball. Boom. And I just sit it as far as it can go. It was really irritating to my parents when I was a kid, and they wanted to play tennis. So, uh, Number four is hitting a golf ball long and straight. Even though it just sits on a tee, and when I play, I played golf like seven times in my life. And if the fairway is this way, I aim this way, and I hit over here, and it goes, whoo, long and not very long and not very straight, but it, it goes kind of the direction I want it to. And I also have this problem is I have hit like every person I've ever played golf with. Mike, Mike Foster, the guy that's playing drum this morning, one time we were playing golf. He is standing like 10 feet behind me. He's like, I'm not getting in front of him. He's standing 10 feet behind me, and I go, boom, and the ball goes, sing, and it hits him. It is a gift. I, apparently, it is, it is, it is my gift. Um, number three is pole vaulting over 15 feet. I'm like, I I don't know. how. To, uh, number two, uh, driving a race car at mega speed without dying. See, I'd really like to try this one, but however it goes with everything else, it just wouldn't go well. And number one is hitting a professionally thrown baseball. Now, most people who play baseball think, oh, I can hit that, oh, I can do that. We all think we're so much better at it than we are because we have this capacity to deceive ourselves. You can go to a major league camp, and most people that go to major league camps will stand there in the batter's box, professional pitcher will throw you a ball, and you'll be like, pitch it. Oh, and it's already past you because that is how good they are. Barry Bonds, Barry Bonds' batting coach once said, a good college player would strike out a high schooler with his eyes closed. Minor league guys with their shutouts to college guys put a major league arm against a minor leaguer and it's no contest. But we all deceive ourselves. A study done a few years ago showed the first sign of incompetence is our inability to perceive our own incompetence. We think we're more intelligent than we are. We think, oh, I'm so smart, then you gotta program your DVR. You're like, oh, maybe. We deceive ourselves about our talent. Look at everybody who tries out for American Idol. It's like, who's going to show? I just wouldn't even show up if that was me. Anybody at a karaoke bar? They would think they have way more talent. Maybe it's the booze. But they got way more, think they have way more talent than they actually do. And nowhere is this inability to be objective come more into play than the realm of our souls. We have such a hard time being honest about our souls when it comes to moral character, the purity of heart. How many of you have ever given serious thought how you would grade out in the eyes of a holy, just, righteous, and truth-telling God? So many of us sit there and say, well, I'm basically a good person, I'm all right. No, you're not. You are evil. You are 
terrible. Jesus had to die so you could be redeemed. That's how bad you are. This is, we, we all think that we're so much better than we are. This is why the most dangerous force in the world is not sickness or injury or bankruptcy. It is sin. Sin is a word that is so downplayed in our culture. Oh, we don't want to talk about the word sin. sin. We use sin now for a hot vacation spot. Like Las Vegas is Sin City. Get your Allegiant Air for 39 bucks and go to Sin City. What stays in, goes in Vegas stays in Vegas. What, you know, dessert menu items are like, you know, the peanut butter binge, the chocolate challenge. These are our sinful items. Really? And lying's not? And lying's not sin? I mean, sin is the deadliest force in the world. It will pull you away from the person God calls you to be. Trying to take the word sin out of our vocabulary would be trying to like take the word cancer out of our vocabulary. Oh, you've got a problem. Something's eating you from inside and it's going to kill you. Oh, what is it? I don't want to say. I mean, is the word sin eats you like that from the inside. We must identify and understand that which threatens life. And sin is what threatens life. It threatens who God calls you to become. All other challenges face us from the outside. Sin works its way inside. It strangles our soul. Sin wants to kill you. Now, we are all born into sin. In Christianity, we call this original, original sin. We are born inherently sinful because of the fall. The church father Augustine said there is a fundamental moral stain that gets passed on to every human being even before they're born. Now, there's a monk named Pelagius who didn't like what Augustine said, and he claimed that every human being is a blank slate. They are a morally neutral, free agent, and everybody gets a clean shot at perfection. This is called the Star Trek theology. And I will tell you, I think Pelagius never had children. Because if you did, the first things kids learn, no and mine. It's like we are all selfish people. Get me! Right? We have a staggering capacity at self-deception and self-justification. But I will tell you that in the gifts that God gives you, your sins and your temptation are intimately connected to the passions and wiring that God put in you. And you need to be able to see that. Sin doesn't look quite the same in every person as it does in you. It's like your fingerprints. Your pattern of sin is going to be unique to you. We don't get tempted by things that repulse us. Temptation really begin, rarely begins trying to take something that, that you hate and making you really want it. I will never be tempted to gorge myself on pickles or onions or McDonald's. It will never happen. Temptation starts close to home with the passions and desires that we have that God wires into us and begins to pull those a few degrees off course. And if you can recognize this pattern of sin that's most tempting to you, it be one of the most important steps of growth in your life. And even if we both struggle with the same sin, maybe we both lash out in anger, I'm likely to have it triggered differently and express it differently than you do. In other words, we don't sin at random. Sin takes a consistent, predictable course. And we live in this environment, and the pattern of our sin is related to the pattern of our gifts. It's kind of like home run hitters strike out the most. It's just how it works. There are areas of your gifts and passions will also indicate the area of his, areas of our vulnerability. Uh, if you are an extrovert, you can inspire and encourage people, but you will also be prone to gossip. If you, uh, are, if you love to learn, you will feel tempted to feel superior to other people who do not know as much as you do. You'll be tempted to talk down to other people. People who live spontaneous lives have a great appetite for life, but they will struggle with impulse control. Good listeners can become enablers. Optimists can wander towards denial. It's like, tell me your gifts. I will tell you your sins. Yeah. Uh, in Greek, in, in Greek uh, culture, there's a thing called a nemesis. And a nemesis spoke about your mortal enemy. Today we call this like a doppelganger. Because a nemesis is like you in almost every way, but it's a ruined version of who you are. And it is sad, but you are your own nemesis. You are your own biggest problem. This is why you need Jesus. 
there is a relationship between the version of you that God has gifted you to become and the worst version of you that sin is pulling you towards. And what they have in common is they're both you. They're both you. So how do you, how do you try and deal with temptation? What you do is you, is you listen to the Spirit, you get some friends around you, you uh, recognize the sin when it rears its head, and you recognize how satisfied your soul is. And so what now I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some practical things. Uh, experts have broken everybody in the world, I don't know how they do this, down into nine basic categories. Nine. I think there should be more, but nine. So I'm going to give you these nine basic categories from psychology standpoint, and I am going to show you uh, how your greatest strengths relate to your greatest weaknesses. Ready? Okay. The first category they give, they call these reformers or perfectionists. Perfectionists. Perfectionists have a high standard of excellence. Uh, much of their greatest fear is actually to be flawed, but at their best, they are crusaders. They are watchdogs. They are prophets. They, they have a standard for what is noble and right and true. But their temptation is they will always struggle with self-righteousness. They'll be tempted to judge others around them whose standards are not as high as theirs. The second group are called servers. Servers. Servers are people who love to be needed. They, they live out the gospel in action all the time, as we all should. They're just much better at it. They are natural caregivers. They will fluff your pillow even when it doesn't need fluffing. They'll come by and, and, and do it. They remember birthdays. They're the first ones at a dinner to get up and do the dishes. If this is you, come to my house anytime. I've got dishes for you to do. Uh, often servers find themselves in positions where they support someone else. They feel most comfortable in a gathering when they're actually doing something. But their greatest temptation is that sometimes this serving and giving can come out of their own neediness. That as a result, they can drain others when their giving becomes a form of taking. And underneath their servanthood sometimes lurks a low self-esteem that demands to be filled but can never get filled up. The third group are called achievers. Achievers. Achievers love to conquer challenges. They love to perform in front of other people. And, And they are best when they're motivated towards growth and they stretch and they learn. They can inspire and move people to action, and they will often be in front of crowds. I, I don't think I'm an achiever, but I don't know. I'm up here talking to you. They, they love talking in front of people. This is the most common fear in America. More than death is actually talking in front of people, but it energizes achievers. If they don't have a chance to develop and shine, they lose motivation. Achievers want to make an impact on the world around them. But their temptation is that they will live for their own image. They will idolize their own performance. And without Christ as the center of their life, they'll be prone to measure their success in terms of applause and recognition. Now, I love what John the Baptist said in John 30, 30, talking about Jesus. He says, he must become greater, I must become less. That, if you're an achiever, that should be your life verse. Because Christ must always be lifted up, and you must become less. And that is the most difficult thing for an achiever to do fourth category are called artists. You're like, oh, hey, that's me. I love painting. I love finger painting. You know, maybe that's you. They, they, they love beauty. They carry inside them a strong desire to be unique. Uh, artists are the people that come in and, and design the room so it doesn't just look like four concrete walls. You know, they, they paint trees on the back wall. Everybody goes, oh, that's cool. They, they have funky wooden boxes. You know, they, they, they do stuff like that. They love to express their individuality in bold ways. Uh, they often have a very strong sense of what kind of effect or look they, they want to create, and they do it without words. They do it in art or action. But people who are artists, their sensitivity can enslave them to emotional swings. Their desire to be special can become preoccupying. Their temptation is to be connected to this thing to be different. I just, I just want to be different. 
and they're needed to be special and stand out, they may look down on ordinary people who aren't as artistic as they are. The next group are called thinkers. Thinkers, they like to know, thinkers like to know everything, just everything. Uh, at their best, they are investigators, they are scientists, they are inventors among us. They love to discover truths that no one else has ever seen. They love to master a body of knowledge or a skill or a hobby on their own. They have great memories for the information they are interested in. Uh, but thinkers also love knowledge. 1 Corinthians 8.1 tells us knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Sometimes thinkers love being right more than they love the people around them. Uh, thinkers do not like to lose an argument. In their own mind, they never have actually lost an argument. They don't like to be interrupted. Uh, they, thinkers are not fun people to argue with unless you are one. You're like, why didn't anybody like to argue with me? Oh, you must be a thinker. Stop it. Uh, the next group is called loyalists. Loyalists or loyal people. Loyal people are people who are naturally drawn to be part of a team. They, they crave a cause they can give themselves, a community they can believe in. And at their best, they help everyone to be better. They're usually very bright. They're usually very articulate, although sometimes they may not volunteer their thoughts to other people. But their major temptation is, the, is that they can grow cynical when they feel let down. They will actually be tempted to always shift responsibility somewhere else so they don't feel like they let anybody down. I think it's interesting, of all the animals that are out there, dogs are most famous for their loyalty. And oddly enough, the ancient Greek word for dog is kunos, which is where we get our word cynic from. Which means nothing for the message. I thought it was interesting. Okay, uh, the next ones are called enthusiasts or enthusiastic people. Enthusiasts, if this is you, you're, you are wired to be the life of the party. You're like, oh, party, can I come? I'll be there. I will bring whatever you want me to bring. Just, they add zest and color and life to everyone's life around them. In the perfect world, they would be like the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. Be like, oh, put me in the box. I just want people to walk by and say hi to me. You know, that's, that's what they want to be. Enthusiastic people will often have a gift for storytelling and they love to talk about themselves. A lot. But if you talk with them about your problems, they may listen to you at first, but they're like Teflon. It just kind of rolls off of them. Nothing seems to stick. And they have, they have temptation. They can live for years without seeing pain or darkness in other people or themselves. They are tempted to make their life revolve around the pursuit of positive feelings, the desire for gratification. And they become miserable if they feel like they're not getting enough attention. The last two. Uh, second to last one is called commanders. These are people who are natural leaders among us. Uh, a commander is created to understand power and leadership, to know how it works. They feel a natural pull towards it. If this is you, being strong is very important to you. You have a need to lead. Opposition actually invigorates you, makes you feel stronger. But... These people have a temptation that power can become an end to itself. You can get frustrated if you don't get your own way. Other people may be frightened or intimidated by you if they disagree with you. If you're a commander, you typically do not like to be coached, taught, corrected, or led, all of which Jesus says you need to be. And the last group are called peacemakers. Peacemakers. Peacemakers have a natural love for serenity and tranquility. They thrive when life is calm. Peacemakers love, Psalm 133, verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when the brothers live together in unity. It's like, I just want to make that happen. That's a peacemaker. Peacemakers will make excellent therapists and mediators in the redeemed state. They bring reconciliation to families, neighborhoods, and workplaces. But peacemakers can be tempted to seek peace at any price. Many times they will use the relational skills to blend in and avoid taking initiative or assuming risks because they have an undue attachment to comfort. They often suffer from terminal niceness, even when courage sometimes is required. See? Tell me your strengths, I'll tell you your weaknesses. 
This is we walk a tightrope in our life. This is why we are called to listen to the Spirit, to not do this alone, to see how satisfied your soul is in Christ. That we are a people who have to submit ourselves to the will of God and recognize where sin raises its ugly head. But we all need each other. If we were all just one of these types, the world would be a terribly boring place, especially if you're all thinkers. Everybody want to argue with each other. Be like, you guys are all crazy. You know, it'd be ter- this, is, this is why we're a community. We do life together. We have all of these things coming together to build the family of God. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. It is critical for, critical for us as a people to learn the patterns, these sin patterns and temptations that are in our core because no one is more vulnerable to these temptations than those who can't recognize them in themselves at all. Matthew 7, verse 3. This is Jesus' warning about this kind of thing. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Our sins are so appealing to us that they become our own biggest danger. It is so close to us that we ought ought not to even see them at all. This is the thing about temptation. It always promises that we can be free to gratify our appetites as much as we want. It says, you can live like a fish. See a fly, want a fly, eat a fly. Temptation and sin promises freedom, but it always makes you its slave. Real freedom is not the external freedom to gratify every appetite. It is the internal freedom that we are not enslaved by our appetites. We have a place to stand so that we are not mastered by them. For You are something more than a stomach and more than a pair of eyes and more than a mouth. You are children of God and you were made for so much more. This is why God gifts you. And this is why we need the community around us. So we listen to the Spirit. So we don't do it alone. So we can be satisfied in who God calls us to be and recognize the temptation that comes up around us. We've got to pull the plank out of our own eyes and learn to be a blessing to the world around us rather than pointing our fingers and judging everything around us. You know, there's this thing. You ever heard of the Messiah complex? Everybody thinks they're the answer to the world. Oh, everybody's got a Messiah complex. Yeah, you all got one. Everybody's got one. I once read a thing that said uh, the the only person in the world who didn't, uh, there's only one person who ever lived who didn't have a Messiah complex, and he was the Messiah. See, this, this is one of the reasons we bring you to communion every week. Because communion is a place of surrender and resetting that we realize that, yes, God has gifted us, but our lives in these giftings, sometimes those gifts will make us turn our eyes upon ourselves and think we're so great and wonderful. We are not. We are not. God is good. God is the one who redeems us. Jesus comes, lives, dies, rises from the dead to redeem us because we are the problem, not the solution. And when he redeems us, he gives us gifts. And these gifts are amazing because he loves us to the point that he says, now you get to go out and be my blessing to the world. You get to be my hands and feet. This is the amazing calling that God has placed in our lives. But we only do it in a place of surrender. So you take that cracker and you break it like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice that reminds us of Christ's blood that was shed for you and I. And we surrender our lives there and realize that all the gifts and all the goodness that he has given to us is simply so that we can then go and extend that out beyond ourselves, 
out into the rest of the world. And you must understand, as you do that, you will constantly be tempted towards certain things. And you must listen to the Spirit and get God's people around you. Get God's people around you. It is important. Be who God calls you to be. We're also going to worship the, with God through song. The band's going to come up, do a couple songs. And as they do, take a moment. Just talk to God and say, you know, God, where, where am I giving into my temptation? Where do, I, where do I think I am so much better than other people? Where do I think I'm great? Well, I'm basically a good person. Yeah. Help, and ask God to help you to understand that you're not and that you need him. There will be uh, diggings and elders in the back. And if you struggle with some type of t- maybe you live your life like a fish. I, I would do the fish face, but I can't. You know, maybe you live the life like a fish and you're always just trying to gratify your own temptations and desires and appetites. Pray with them. Get some people around you. Start getting on, uh, on a path that you can stop living that way because you are more than that. God created you to be so much more. Every worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. So we give you the opportunity every single week. And also there's food and stuff in the back. And we invite you guys to worship God through fellowship. Get to know some other people. Maybe, you don't, maybe you're like, I don't have anybody around me that can hold me accountable or ask me the hard questions. Great. Go back there, grab something to eat, and then meet somebody else. And we, obviously, the food we put back there is not enough to feed all of you because you go through it like, I don't know, locusts in a field like crazy. The, the food there is only to get you guys back there to start talking to each other. So you can make some friends, get to know some other people. Because we were not meant to do this alone. Listen to the Spirit. Don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. I mean, hanging out with people, getting to know each other, that is part of worship. And it is very important. So, be who God calls you to be. Recognize your temptations. I know this morning may not have sounded very spiritual to you, but, but it is. It is. It's immensely practical in how you live your life. You've got to notice those things because God created you uniquely. Recognize that and serve and follow Him and love Him in community as He calls you to. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we do ask as Your people that You would teach us how to live this life that You called us to. We thank You for the great gifts that You have given to us and that we wouldn't take these gifts and just focus in upon ourselves but that we would use these gifts to honor you as our great and good God. Now, for those people in this room who struggle with temptation, that it is more than temptation, it is an addiction, and their life is revolving around something, we ask this morning that you would take them and enable them to talk to somebody to get some help for that so that they wouldn't continue to live in this place where they are addicted to a thing, but yet they are set free now by your spirit and your grace and your goodness. God, teach us how to live this life of your great gifting, this community of your great grace, being your hands and feet to all the world around us. Thanks for loving us and calling us your own. Amen.